When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. I'm your host Gary Morgan. With me as always is my good friend and the uh, beat reporter for Pitt Athletics at DK Pittsburgh Sports, Corey Christen. How you doing, brother? It's a sleepy morning, Gary, isn't it? I'm having a hard time getting moving. I don't know if it's because of a, a pit loss to Florida State on Saturday, but uh, I, I was a little more sluggish getting up this morning compared to most Sundays. Maybe that's without a, with, with the lack of Steeler football. Maybe that's like no game until 3 o'clock today. I'm not sure what it is, but something is just off about this Sunday. But we'll we'll power through it. We'll get your uh, weekly dose of pit hoops and, of course, get into some pit football later on in the show. But I'm doing okay otherwise. Can't really complain too much, Gary. I mean, maybe it's because you were up late last night explaining to uh people why jamie dixon isn't back you know i mean, am <laughs> leaving the jamie dixon discourse to the side i will not be a part of the jamie dixon discourse after a pit loss i don't want to go that way i'm not I, i'm it's good so funny. Thank you. it's so funny everybody because like a little inside baseball here you know new beat writers come in from out of market a lot you know and, and Corey's one of those so Sometimes he'll he'll experience some some new phenomena that isn't so new to some of us, you know. So he texts me this morning. He's like, "Dude, what is up with all these people like complaining about Jamie Dixon being on?" I'm like, "Bro, you don't understand. When Jamie Dixon was here, it was all about where's Ben Howland, and we never should have let him go, you know." <laughs> it's just a big cycle. angry cycle of hate, and it's just the way it is here. You know, just like right now, everybody's favorite coach is uh, Bill Cower. Right? Oh, you know, okay. Because Mike, because Mike Tomlin's here. So, and yeah. once Mike Tomlin eventually quits, it'll be well. It wasn't like this with Mike Tomlin, and of course, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, this is not a Steelers podcast, but you know, after the Steelers rallied from two and six to finish nine and eight, you know, I tweeted out, "Mike Tomlin's a Hall of Fame coach," which he is, by the way. There's no argument against it, and of course. People found ways to argue against it. So we'll just leave it at that. And uh, not saying Jeff Capel is a Hall of Fame coach or Jamie Dixon's a Hall of Fame coach, but, you know, this is what we, we're working with right now. Of course, Jeff Capel was working against quite a <laughs> bit of circumstances when he got here. So um, that's true. So here we are, you so know. Let's get, let's, let's get into it. We, got, we had a couple games to cover here. You know, we had uh, the Louisville matchup, which, you know, you and I kind of said last week. They really can't afford a misstep here. You you have to take that game. They did. I did feel at parts it was a little closer than it should have been, but they they managed to right the ship. The depth really kind of came through, um, especially Nike Saban. They really stepped up, kind of took control of that game. And then my fear last week was the length of um, Florida State, and and we talked about the guard play 
probably not being good enough. So we felt okay about that matchup. But it ultimately proved that the length really was too much for Pitt. They, they just weren't be able to create good passing lanes. And it led to some really bad shot selection in the middle of the game, I thought. I thought the number one factor for me, well, aside from Florida State not missing for a good chunk of the first half, you know, like Pitt got off to that nice start. It was 15 to 5. And then in a matter of five minutes, it was 22-15. Like the bottom just completely fell out. And Florida State made shots. And Pitt, let's be honest, kind of fell out of flow offensively. You know, there was Mm -hmm. a shot clock violation. There were plenty other close calls. There was, you know, when we talk about Jamarius Burton's ability to drive in and, you know, facilitate inside to out and be that, you know, guy that could start to create, like Jeff Capel had talked about before, second and third opportunities in penetration and second and third opportunities for the shooters. You know, Pitt really wasn't able to to force, I shouldn't say force, but Pitt wasn't able to forge forward and create those opportunities for the Greg Elliott's and the Nike Sabandis and, you know, and the Nelly Cummingses. And it didn't help that Nelly and Nike were just awful offensively. I mean, this was this was the worst I've seen those two play in quite quite some time. I mean, this game, Nelly Cummings, Nike Sabandi combined 3 of 18 from the field, 1 of 12 from 3, 3 assists, 3 turnovers between the two. I mean, you can't have that from those two at all. And Nelly Cummings after the game, by the way, you know, it was about a couple hours after I'm still sitting up in the press box writing and, you know, talking with fellow reporters and Nelly's out there getting work in. So it's not like he doesn't know that he's struggling. It's not like he doesn't know that he, you know, didn't play great and it didn't play well really at all yesterday. And and the thing about Pitt that we talked about at least earlier in the season is as these guards go, so will Pitt. You know, Jamarius sure. Burton played well, but Blake Hinson struggled in spots, although he didn't want to admit it after the game when I asked him. Uh, Nelly and Nike obviously struggled. And Greg Elliott, in my opinion, didn't touch the ball enough. I, I don't know what happened that, you know, Greg Elliott starts two of two from three and then kind of gets phased out of the offense, doesn't get many attempts, you know, in the last 35 minutes of the game. So I think they were just out of sorts. I think credit Florida State, obviously, a Leonard Hamilton team, always a tough out. That is a well coached, that is a great coach. That is always a well coached operation. You know why Florida State was voted, I believe it was fourth in the preseason ACC poll before they had all of this just stuff happen to them. You know, two ACL tears. Um, I believe it was, I want to say tonsillitis or something. I mean, there was a 16-game suspension for, for one of their players. I believe it was Baba. And then, you know, they've just dealt with a lot this year, especially in the early part of the year. That's why they started 1-9. and nine. But Florida State, since then, has really turned it around. Now, and, and I write about it a lot, and I think we're going to start talking about it, you know, today and then going forward with the NCAA net rankings. Because those are very indicative. It's a very good tool in telling, you know, where a team stands with respect to the bubble, with respect to the rest of the conference, with respect to fellow teams and other conferences even. So with this loss, Pitt drops from 50 to 65 in in the NCAA net rankings. They are 69th overall in Ken Palm's rankings. This loss qualifies as a quote-unquote quadrant four loss. And the way that those are are, um, laid out, quadrant one, quadrant two, quadrant three, quadrant four. I wrote a story on it uh, earlier this week and laid all that out that you can check out. But basically, 
Florida State was net ranked 207 out of 363 teams in college basketball. And this win put them up to 187. And that's still a quadrant four loss for Pitt. It's the first one of the season for them. They are now eight and one in such games um, between quadrant three and four. Now, if Florida State can move up to 160 in the net rankings at some point this season, then that loss would get bumped up to quadrant three. So it's a little it's a little complicated at first, but once you kind of understand how these net rankings work, and they are important. I'm not just talking about them as a as a you know bullet point here. These net rankings do get looked at by selection committees on Selection Sunday, and this is a point of emphasis. So the fact that Pitt dropped as many spots as they did, they dropped 15 spots back into that soft bubble, if you will, instead of being firmly on it you know, with this loss, you know, that tells just how much this is viewed as from an analytics standpoint. So, you know, if you're Pitt, you have opportunities to make up for it. You got Wake Forest, Miami, North Carolina, right on the horizon. So three really good opportunities. And I think if Pitt can win two of those three, then they could get back on the good side, if you will, of, of, of those bubble teams. Yeah, that's going to be a hard ask. And we got to take a quick break here. But before we do... You, it doesn't really matter what team is ranked. If they come in and shoot 50-51% against you from the field in three-point, you ain't going to win most of the time. And So we'll, we'll get into this game a little bit more and what actually happened when we come back. Welcome back to the HGP Podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you. And now we're going to get into breaking down this game a little bit. And boy, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I'm going to oversimplify it. Uh, Pitt played pretty decent defense, I actually felt, against uh, Florida State. They just got their shot off the court. I mean, I, I really feel like that that was it. And then their shooting percentage was awful. You know, Pitt got nothing. And uh, I'd also say this was uh, one of those first examples that I think you and I pointed to a long time ago where the depth is really going to start to make itself apparent. Florida State ran 10 guys out there, and, and they were able to stay pretty fresh. Pitt, eight guys. Two of them, as you were saying in the break, didn't even take a shot. Um. There's got to be something done there. And, you know, further, when when you take Jamarius Burton off the off the court, the entire team can't fall apart. And that has happened two games in a row. This goes back to talking about Nellie Cummings. And I'm not trying to badger him by any means because I, I, I love the kid. I love being around him. He's a great guy. Good player. Really good player. But I think that's why I'm, I'm getting, I guess, angst about him because I know he could be better. And I think he knows he could be better. 35 minutes, two of 12 from the field, um, three assists, one turnover. Like, and then when you, when you break it down to Jabarius Burton and his ability to facilitate, you know, there were quite a bit of one-on-one opportunities. Pitt had 11 assists as a team. They averaged 14 this year. Florida state had more assists than them. 
Um, you talked about with the bench. Remember when last week on this show, and by the way, I'm glad we're not talking about Louisville because I said that last week. Like if we had to talk about Louisville, that's a problem. So I'm glad we're not doing that. Right, right. But remember last week what we talked about with Nike. Nike played 30 minutes, more than 30 minutes against Georgia Tech. And of course he he, you know, was amazing with scoring. But he gets 14 minutes here and goes one of six from the field. He could be cold, but how do you go? How do you justify playing all five of your starters 34 or more minutes? Nike plays 14, and then Guillermo and Nate Santos combined for 11. Like, I think there needed to be more of a bench presence in this game. And and going forward, like what we talked about with the bench, there are situations that Pitt can get away with having a thin bench, like against the Louisville, an inferior team, one that's just not talent stacked um, comparably to Pitt. Pitt could get away with playing seven guys against Louisville, and they did. You can't really get away with playing just Nike, uh, just Guillermo, and just Nate off the bench. I should say eight guys. But, you know, you had to see more Jorge there, I think. I think you had to see him, period. He didn't play. I think you had to get some size in there. And it's not like the yep. the 7-4 kid for Florida State. It's not like he killed Pitt. You know, there were a couple plays where he just went right over Guillermo, which will happen. When you have a guy that's seven four out there, but you know when it comes to that, when when the guards are not kicking and when the guards are not shooting as well as they should, you can't fall apart. You you just can't. And, and this is the I think problem that could hold Pitt back as we get into February is that if if Jeff Capel is going to be resistant towards going eight deep into his bench or or nine deep into his bench, then. He has to have the guard play to sustain it. Again, Nelly was bad. Nike was bad. JB played okay, but there were moments where, you know, he maybe made the wrong call, maybe forced something up. Blake Hinson was bad for about 30 minutes or so of that game. So I, I just think that I think that if you're pit, you have to look at this big ter- big picture in long term and realize if a team like Florida State, who the worry for me going into this game was if Florida State was going to pound Pitt inside. Obviously, if you have a kid that's 7-4, Matthew Cleveland can get that, get in there. I think that this would have been Florida State just pounding the paint all game, and that's not what this was. This was Florida State's guard play beating Pitt's guard play, which is thought of as a strength of, uh, of Pitt's team. So, you know, going against Wake Forest now, Pitt has a lot to figure out within that front court or within that back court. And, um, you know, I, I, to a point, to Florida State's credit, they made shots that were defended. Like, Pitt wasn't bad defensively. It's just Pitt couldn't match it offensively. And, you know, when a team shoots that kind of percentage from the field, it's hard to match at all. No, it really is. And so, again, like, I don't want to take too much from, from this contest. Again, the shooting percentages are kind of otherworldly. So, I... I don't want to sit here and say like Pitt was awful, awful, but there has to be some other things they can do with this bench. Like we talked about like maybe thinking of ways to, to use more of their bigs together. Like maybe can you put Guillermo and, and Fetty on the court at the same time against certain matchups, even just to give a different look, um, you know, maybe your guards are struggling distributing the ball maybe you give them an extra target down there you know there there's got to be some different ways to mix and match what they have and to me never playing one of them jorge it 
it seems a little bit weird to me. <laughs> I'm not saying he's the most talented player they have, but his twin is playing. I can't imagine he's that much worse than him, at least as far as an option down low. And this is where this is where mixing and matching comes into play because when let's say if Florida State was pounding pit underneath, and let's say if you know that seven four kid, and I I should have his name down by now, you know, after seeing him play, but this is the mind of a sports reporter. Um, if they were getting pounded underneath, maybe you would have seen Jorge, but because I think Florida State was shooting so well from outside. Jeff Capel turned to some perimeter defense. And you kind of saw that in some situations where he deployed a smaller lineup. You know, he would put Hinson, Burton, Nike, Nelly, and Elliott out there. And those are probably Pitt's five best players without Federico out there, without Guillermo out there, without Santos out there. And they would they would be running in transition and they'd be creating those opportunities of transition, but then their paint defense would suffer. Right. And then there were moments where they went big to combat Florida State's bigs and Florida State shot the lights out. So this was really a game where I don't I don't want to say there was no solution, but the fact that Florida State shot the lights out made things extremely difficult for Pitt to defend. If Florida State makes, let's say, four fewer shots, three fewer shots than than what they actually made. You know, Florida State from the field goes to 25 of 49, more than 50% from the field. They shoot 53 point, uh, 53.6% uh, from the field in the first half. They make 60% of their threes, 7 to 12. Like, if, if they miss two of those threes and even just shoot just under 50%, like, this is a totally different ballgame. It comes down sure. to literally just two or three possessions where Florida State made shots and Pitt didn't. And I don't and like you said in the first segment, at the caution of trying to overanalyze things, and I don't want to oversimplify it either, but I don't want to overanalyze this either because some games just don't need, you know, the the Ken Palm analytics for as much as I love them. Like the fact of the matter <laughs> is Florida State was able to hit their shots and Pitt while they didn't, you know, have a horrible game from the field offensively as far as the numbers go, they still just couldn't create as many opportunities for themselves as Florida State was able to, and that's the difference. Sure, and they usually average about, you know, what, 14 three-pointers in a game. I think they only made seven. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it you're not going to win when you when you shoot that kind of percentage. That's all there is to it. And, and when you get that kind of percentage shot against you, it's going to, more often than not, mean a loss, and it doesn't really matter who you play. And by the way, Florida State made 11 to 15 from the free throw line. So it's even when they went inside and Pitt played the defense on him, of course you draw fouls, they still made their free throws. I mean, Pitt made yes. 11 to 12, credit to them for making their free throws, but Florida State was put at the line more. And, you know, they could have they could have faltered at the free throw line, and they didn't. I mean, you again, this is a game where you credit Florida State for everything they've done. And, and, you know, they come off of a win against Notre Dame. They build a little momentum. And now if you're a Pitt fan, you got to kind of hope they start winning a little bit because that will help that tournament resume. That'll boost that hopefully to a quad three win at some point. So, you know, we'll see what happens going forward. Well, immediately, Corey, I started to see people um, 
upset that they, that Pitt had so many recruits in attendance at that game for that loss. And I don't think that's really going to have any effect on whether those kids come here, commit here, or whatever. Um, did you have anything to report from that? Like who was in attendance? Anything important there? Yeah, so yesterday, this is for Pitt football, of course. Um, yesterday was junior day for Pitt football, which is basically like hosting a, a group of 2024 recruits. Um, you know, Pat Narduzzi was there, Dave Borbley, Charlie Partridge, Frank Signetti, a lot of position coaches, Andre Powell um, for the football team. And they did get one commit out of it, in-state running back Jules Goff. Um, committed yesterday, actually during the game, we got a pat signal, you know, a pit is it tweet with eight minutes left in the game and the game is tied like Pat, wait a second, give us a minute here. Let us, let us focus on hoops for a second. So we got a pat signal on that. Um, there were quite a few of the, uh, 2024, um, you know, players that were there. Number one for me, um, I'm looking at Cameron Lindsay who um, four-star linebacker, Al Equipa kid, uh, he was there, you know, to visit Pitt. Um, Ty Uhas, 2024 defensive end, Central Catholic, made his visit. Um, Elias Cody Koch, freshman from Harrisburg, uh, wide receiver, made his, you know, made his visit. Ryan Corey, offensive lineman from Pine Richland. Um Makai Edwards, Christ the King High School in in, uh, Middle Village, New York, made his visit. So there were quite a few. I mean, there was uh, quite a handful of junior day visits that, you know, were at the Pete. And then obviously they get a a commitment out of it in uh, Jules Goff, the running back. So um, the recruiting engine is not slowing down by any means. And in the third segment, I know we definitely have a little pit football to talk about here with regards to the transfer portal. Yeah, hey, great segue. Let's take a quick break. Let's come back. Let's hit the transfer portal a little bit. Talk about uh, replenishing some holes that opened up. Welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you, and it's time to start talking about pit football a little bit. You know, football never really stops, as we just talked about Pat Narduzzi on the recruiting scene there at, at the pit basketball game yesterday. Uh, well, they just replaced a pretty big loss. You know, Jared Wayne um, is leaving. And they, they go out and get a commitment of a wide receiver, Dejon Reynolds from Florida. Tell us a little bit about him, Corey, and where you feel they are with, with the wide receiver group right now. Dejon Reynolds commits to Pitt four days after Dante Cephas. Um, originally thought of a guy that could have went to Pitt. Obviously, Penn Hill's kid, but he commits to Penn State. On a Sunday of last week, this was you know in the afternoon after we recorded H2P, and uh, Cephas was very highly ranked in the transfer portal rankings. Um, so Pitt has to redirect. Obviously, no Dante Cephas. You lose Jared Wayne. Um, so it is. It's Dejon Reynolds, a uh, six foot two, two hundred four pounds, three three years of eligibility left. And I want to stress that 
So they do get a guy that, you know, is going to be here for quite a while. Uh, former four-star recruit. And really last year, I think the plan, I don't want to say plan, but he wasn't supposed to play as much as he did last year with Florida. And of course, Florida with uh, Richardson at quarterback, really uh, electrifying offense, really dynamic, multi-dimensional offense. And he didn't get much playing time, but he had a breakout game against Vanderbilt. This was November 19th. Eight catches, 165 yards, two touchdowns. And then on a game October 2nd against Eastern Washington, two catches, 74 yards. So he does have some downfield ability, although he's not really a burner per se. I believe his 40 was at about 4'7 coming out of high school. So not the fastest guy in the world, but at the same time, at 6'2", 204, really nice size frame to help complement guys like Kanate Mumfield and Bub Means in that receiver's room. And I think that's exactly what Pitt needed out of the portal was somebody that can just like muscle up and get a ball. Now, this kid had like 40 offers out of high school, really highly rated recruit out of uh, Loganville, Georgia, former four-star again. Um, in his senior season of high school, 88 catches, 1,534 yards and 14 touchdowns. So he has some pretty big playmaking ability. And the thing that I want to stress here, again, is that three years of eligibility remaining because Pitt now you know, has lost Jared Wayne, who was literally a captain for the Sun Bowl. He was a senior leader on this team. He was a mentor to a lot of, again, the Bub Meanses and the Kanate Mumfields of the world. And I think that while Reynolds is a really good get, I still think there's room to get at least one more guy out of the portal in the wide receivers room. And in fact, like that was my biggest need in this offseason from the portal was to get a wide receiver. And I'm glad they got Reynolds. And I think he definitely fits a role and he fills a need for Frank Signetti, Phil Dracovic, Pat Narduzzi, etc. But I still think there has to be a veteran presence in that room somewhere. And that's kind of where yeah. I'm fearing on this one is that they got a good receiver, but how mature is he? We don't know. I'm not saying he's immature or has any you know problems or anything, but they need a veteran presence in that room still is what I'm saying. So I wonder if they're still in the portal looking. I wonder out loud if you know they're, they're still pursuing a couple of guys or maybe a guy you know, to still bring in in that next transfer portal period. It would make sense if they were, because I understand what you're saying. I, I kind of come to the same conclusion. Let's talk a little bit about quarterback, though, because we, we kind of glazed over Phil Dracovic coming here. And, um, you know, I'm not sure what I can say about Phil Dracovic's collegiate career so far. I don't think it's gone anywhere near what he or most people that live here and watched him play for Pine Richland thought was going to happen with him in college. But I think there's a lot of us that are pretty excited to see him come back. What's the depth look like at quarterback? Is it, it's pretty much him and Yarnell, right? So this year it'll be Phil Dracovic, Nate Yarnell, and then you have Ty Diefenbach, the uh, freshman from California coming in, and then Christian Veu coming in from Penn State, the transfer. So there's good depth in that room, and I'm going to assume as we sit here on January 22nd recording this that the depth chart would go as follows. It would go Dracovic, Yarnell, Veu, Diefenbach. 
And that's a very loose depth chart behind Phil. Because at this point, after Narduzzi and Signetti go to the portal and get Veyu, and then obviously Diefenbach, you have to bring in a freshman. Like, that's a given that has to happen. What is Nate Yarnell's status now? Is he kind of given as the backup a la Nick Patty because he's been there? You know what I mean? Is he just going to be labeled as the backup and treated as the backup because of that? And then later on, could we see a Christian Veyu usurp him as the quote-unquote backup quarterback? You know, I have a feeling that in the long term, Nate Yarnell is the odd man out of this situation, which is unfortunate for him because, again, an Arduzzi recruit still um, plays that Western Michigan game. We all know that. And, um, you know, now is, I don't want to say he's getting phased out, but it almost feels like he is. You know, when you bring in a transfer like Christian Veyu and you go get a freshman and you go get a senior transfer, you're almost guaranteeing that Nate Yarnell is not going to see the field at minimum until, you know, barring an injury to Dracovic or something crazy. Um, you're not going to see. Which isn't crazy. <laughs> which, which isn't crazy. You're not going to see Nate Yarnell until 2024. And if you're Nate Yarnell, do you want to sit here and, and wait and then have to compete? Because. You know, Nate Yarnell won't be handed the keys to the car when Ty Diefenbach and Christian Veyu are right there. Like, he'll have to compete for the job. So, in my opinion, I, I, I think Nate Yarnell's the odd man out here. And then, you know, you kind of figure it out between Veyu and, and Diefenbach going forward behind Phil. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting year. I'm kind of excited to see what happens and shakes out in spring camp. So, um, it's not just the wide receivers. It's who throws them the ball in this offense. And I, I don't know. I, Dracovic is just somebody that over the years I've kind of come to realize wasn't able to stay on the field very often. And it feels to me like backup quarterback is going to be pretty important to this team's success this year. So I'm interested to see how that shakes out. Backup and third string for that matter. And keep in mind how important, at least in Pat Narduzzi's words, how important it was that Nate Yarnell was running scout team and then was able to go into Western Michigan and kind of apply some of that to it in, in the game planning and, and all of that. So, you know, I'm not trying to disrespect Nate Yarnell here by saying that. And I know that he's kind of like, I don't want to say a cult hero because of that Western Michigan win, but, and that throw in the Sun Bowl, you know, when Nick Patty had to come off for that play. But, um, you know, when you, ha- when you have a Christian Veyu who got to learn behind Sean Clifford and Drew Aller at Penn State, and then a Ty Diefenbach, I think he would be at least on the 2023 depth chart, you know, probably fourth in line given. I think really the competition that we're talking about here is Nate Yarnell versus Christian Veyu for number two. So we'll see, like you said, there's still a whole spring period to shake out. I was told by a birdie that we were going to get some access to the new guys on Wednesday this week, one day this week that we're going to get to have a little media session with some of the new guys. So definitely stay tuned for that because um, I would assume that Phil and Christian um, would be a member, would be members of this. Now I don't remember off the top of my head if either are enrolled early because there are now at this point early enrollees for 2023 that will, that will be freshmen this year that are on campus. I don't have that full list in front of me, but those guys are here. So, um, 
you know, that'll be cool. You know, we'll see what happens this week. Like I said, I was told we're going to get to meet some of the new guys this week. So um, definitely stay tuned for that. All right, definitely. All right, and so let's set up the week here. Wednesday, we've got Wake Forest. Um, that's going to be an interesting game. And then you got a tough one, Miami. Um, Miami is just a tough team this year. They're, they're, they're going to be difficult, I think, for anybody in the ACC to kick. So, um, yeah, it's a tough week. But they, I think they, they probably need to at least go one and one here. And uh, it'd be really nice if they could sneak out a win they're not expected to get. Oh, and then you got to go on the road to North Carolina, right? And uh, that's not yeah. an easy task whatsoever. So, you know, Wake Forest right now, as I look at the NAT ranking, they're at 71. They just dropped uh, from 68. I believe they have the same record as Pitt. Or they're one game ahead of Pitt. Uh, they are one game ahead of Pitt in the uh, ACC uh, standings. And then Miami, Florida, of course, um, 44 in the net right now. So three really good opportunities here for Pitt to rectify this loss to Florida State. And, you know, we'll, we'll probably have this as a topic of conversation on next week's show. But let's say Pitt can go 1-1 one one this week. You know, whoever it may be, or even 2-0. You know, I think at minimum, Pitt has to win one of these two games against Wake Forest, Miami. And then North Carolina, you kind of set yourself up for that. So if Pitt can go 2-1 and one in this next stretch, I think that puts them in a pretty decent position. I 1-2 or 0-3, oh that's kind of a hard sell because, you know, you're already kind of, I don't want to say stock down, but it is stock down after the Florida State loss. And I'm looking at this big picture. So we'll see what happens. I think for, I think um, Wake Forest is a gettable game. I think Miami's a gettable game, and North Carolina obviously Pitt is one and zero against them this year. So, so we'll see what happens. It should be a really good week for the for that uh, Pitt basketball team, and especially with two really good games coming up. Right, because despite all the excuses we gave for the Florida State performance, you know, with the shooting and everything, it's still a game they were supposed to win. Mm -hmm. So when you lose one you're supposed to win, you got to win one you're not supposed to win. So they have an opportunity to do that, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Without further ado, man, I say H2P. Adios.